You know, you can tell the cost of something by the heart. In fact, the cost is often registered by a heart. I I think of um, when my daughter was little, and I've, I've shared this before, and I've shown you, in fact, that she has this little, we still have this little blanket that's just a bunch of threads. And um, if we would leave it somewhere, you know, you'd turn around and go get it. If you left it at Grandpa and Grandma's when we were visiting in Florida, they would spend $20 more than it was worth to send it to us. Because there was this incredible value attached in her heart to that. And as a result of that, the value of that was throughout the rest of the family and those close to her. Well, it's interesting that this whole picture that we see of the family that Jesus paints and what he wants us to understand and what he wanted his followers to understand was when he grabbed a child, he wanted to see and for all to understand the value that his children are in his eyes and not just little children. So Jesus had this little child come over and put his arms on him and made an object lesson of him. Think about it for a second. You lose a child or someone you know close to you or as a grandparent, you lose that little grandchild. It's not just kind of like, oh, no big deal. We can get another one, right? Your heart just immediately responds with the value of what is in it for that child. I've had to counsel with parents who have lost a child as an infant, as a preschooler, as a grade schooler. I've counseled with them as they've lost one as a teenager in their 20s as adult children and never never once has it been easy never once have i sat before anything but a broken heart and even today some remain hurt and they feel the wounds of that loss as it throbs the value of that child well jesus calls this child to the center of the room and in essence he says guys I want you to get your values in line with the values of the kingdom of God. Your values are messed up. You don't get the kind of life that is lived in heaven. You don't understand the kind of value that God has on people, especially lost people. In six months, Jesus tells them, I'm going to be leaving. And when I leave, I am hoping that you will establish these values and you will establish little pockets of followers all around the world. And these little pockets of followers will become families and these families will live out these values. The whole reason for this talk began in in verse 1 of chapter 18 when Jesus heard... This question asked to him by his followers because they were getting ready um, for his coming into his kingdom. They didn't quite understand what that meant. They didn't understand the idea of a cross and and the, the resurrection and the development of the kingdom that would be here until Jesus would then once again return again, would return to take all people to heaven. But that time period after his death and this period that we're living in, the kingdom would be ushered in. And the question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I think in a sense you could just see Jesus sighing. He's got this child next to him. This child who's considered insignificant. Thoroughly willing to trust rather than control. Consciously aware as a child how imperfectly this little one is. And yet growing as the way God had intended. 
And in a sense, he says, here, look at this child. In this child embodies all that is great. If you want greatness, take a look at this little kid. And so he, Jesus says, grab your, your notebooks. We're going to go into this senior intensive. So we've talked about Matthew 18. It's this fourth discourse, or what I call the fourth seminar that Jesus is giving. It's the seminar that he gives now to his disciples because he knows that he's going to be leaving. And as he leaves, he wants to make sure that the family, the values of the family that his Father in Heaven has created would also be established here on earth. And would be established in, in these kind of families like this church all around the world. And so Jesus says, um, grab a paper and pen, and here's today's lesson. I want to talk to you about the value of the rebellious one. He continues to move on from the lesson of becoming like a child, that's how you become the greatest, to how you treat this child. Be careful because that's... The father just says, you know, if you mess with one of mine, you mess with me. And now he moves into this next little lesson called the value of the rebellious one. Since he says, the value you place upon the lost and rebellious reveals something about how you see and understand your heavenly father's heart. The value you place upon the lost and rebellious reveals how you see and how you understand your own family. It reveals something about this family, your family, individually. And the value you place on the loss reveals something about your own heart. And so he begins with this message in verse 10 of chapter 18. And after he has said these words already about the child, he says in verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Some you'll see if you have your Bible, there's, there's verse 11 is kind of put in a footnote because some of the manuscripts, not the best earliest ones, they include this, the Son of Man came to save what was lost. But I think it goes from verse 10 to verse 12. I think that is a little addition in later manuscripts, kind of complying a bit with what was found in Luke. But if you go to verse 12, he says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it truly, I tell you, He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In a sense, your attitude towards the lost, the prodigal, the problem child, is really a great barometer of how much you get Jesus as a church, as a family, as an individual. I'm going to ask us to pray. Father, we've worshipped you and we pray that now through your Holy Spirit, you would speak through me and speak to our hearts that we might understand your heart. In Christ's name, amen. So lesson one is the value of the rebellious one. The value you place on the lost and rebellious tells you something about how you see and understand the Father's heart. That's kind of the first thing that Jesus, I think, gets into here. And I'm sure if there's a way to say it in a shorter way, but it might be your attitude reveals whether you really know God or you know much about God. When God sees the lost and wandering, what does he see? What is going on in his heart? Have you ever been lost yourself? Think about it for a second. Really lost. I mean, that kind of lostness that isn't just for a short period of time, but for some period of time. 
It may be that you were lost for a period of time in doubt, not, not maybe even a physical being lost in some place. But maybe you're lost in confusion for a period of time, or you're in a place where you're seeking to understand what to do in your career, and you feel this sense of, of distance from God. Or you're without work, and you've been looking for leads, and you haven't got any leads. You're lost in a marriage that is really difficult, or you're lost because of the pain of a divorce that has left you with great hurt. Or you're lost because some choices you've made, or... Things that have occurred have put you in this place where you just feel distance from God. Have you experienced loss? Well, it happens often, and I was reading some stories of loss, and I began to realize there's some common things that happen, and Jesus seems to address them both. There are common questions that come up. And when you, when you find yourself distant from God, there's a couple things that you begin to ask yourself. And you may be asking yourself that question even now. The first is, does anybody see? Does anybody know my plight? Does anybody understand where I'm in this lost place? I, I watched, just happened to watch last night, um, a, a 2020 we t of this family that were lost in a car in the woods of Oregon. Some of you remember that. And they were in this car for a long time and wondering, does anybody see? Does anybody know? Can anybody, does anybody have an idea where we're at? And the other question that you begin to ask yourself after a period of time, does anybody really care? And see, Jesus himself would, would soon feel the impact of those very same questions. Within about six months, as he would be walking on his way to the cross, and as he would be on that cross, he would cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you see? Do you even care? So to the first question, Jesus gives a really interesting answer. Listen again if you read Matthew 18, verse 10. And just note how... How valuable those little ones, those humble, insignificant ones are to the Father. Those who seem to be, in a few moments, he'll talk about being lost. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven all see the face of my Father in heaven. That's a really interesting statement. Just, you know, you read through Scripture and there's all kinds of commentaries around it. But it really answers kind of this question, does God see, does God know these little ones, these these lost ones, these wounded ones, these seeking ones, these prodigal ones, these wayward ones, the ones that some that know they're lost, some that don't even know they're lost yet, but they will find out they're lost. Those that came around Jesus were these little ones that he's referring to, as we talked about last week. He's not just talking about children. All children are a great object lesson. He's talking about those who, like children, understand their insignificance. They're in this place that they don't know at all, and they have to trust because they're in a place where they're lost. And then they're in this place where they recognize that they're, they're not perfect. They've blown it. In fact, there is no reason why anyone really in one sense should be looking for them. They feel that in their heart. And so verse 10 says, these little ones may not know it, says Jesus, but I want you to know it. Now take your pen and paper, guys, he's saying. I want you to mark this down and make it known that God not only knows their situation, but individually he sees them in their lostness. Now whether they're angels in heavens refer to guardian angels, because some people make all kinds of theories around these are, these are guardian angels, and, and some say they're the, the spirits of these Ones, once they die, are before the face of others. I read all kinds of stuff, but I, I just sat there and I just thought to myself, you either trust Jesus on this or you don't. 
You don't have to go into all kinds of explanations. You either try and explain it away or you take Jesus at his word. You understand that Jesus had spiritual understanding. He had the ability to see in the spiritual realm. He saw angels watching over these little ones face to face with their father in heaven. And we think of heaven being out here somewhere. It's just this realm of the spirit. These angels, whatever they are, who are around these little ones, see the face of the father constantly in their lostness. It's almost in a sense, he just says, you guys, you, you, you quit looking down on these little ones that are coming around. Don't ever even do that. Don't even go that direction. You, this, this whole idea of greatness and, and what's my significance going to be and so that I can trust and, and, and don't even have to trust anymore to find my security in the fact that I have the power now and the significance to control things so that I can look in such a way that i got my act together. He says, you're, you're on the wrong scale over here. These values are the values of this earth and this worldly Situation that, that many churches over time lose, and instead of being valued as Jesus says, begin to move into this. Many families, even though they may have an experience with Christ, begin to move into this. That, that's what the, the book of Galatians is about. That's what some of the books in Colossians and others are about. It's about coming back and making sure that you understand the values of the kingdom. And so, in a sense, he's saying, You guys, don't look down. But look up and see the Father's heart. I shared with you this book a few weeks ago. And, and it's this, this book called The Boy um, Who Came Back from Heaven. It's a, a story about Kevin and Alex Malarkin. And uh, little Alex, at six years of age, in this car accident with his father, his vertebrae were um, completely detached at the base of his brain. In fact, the tendon sheath around the spinal column was, was completely severed. And in about 2009, a, few, a year or so after that, after that tragic accident, Alex made international news as the first child to undergo the now famous Christopher Reeves surgery. But this is, this is what he says. It's kind of interesting. There's no way this child could know what was going on. I'm not going to even read, you, read to you all what he, the account is, but he says, Daddy did not see the car coming, but I did. I like to look out the backside window of daddy's car and so that is what I was doing when we started to turn I was just getting ready to tell him there was a car when we got hit for just one second before all the action began there was a moment of calmness I remember thinking someone was going to die and when the calm ended I heard the sound of glass breaking and I saw daddy's feet going out of the car Now, I thought I knew who was going to die, but then I saw something unbelievably cool. Five angels were carrying Daddy outside the car. Four angels were carrying his body. One was supporting his neck and head. The angels were big and muscular, like wrestlers, and they had wings on their backs from their waist to their shoulders. And I thought Daddy was dead, but it was okay because the angels were going to make him okay. And he goes on and shares some more, and he says... Of his own experience then, I went through a long white tunnel that was very bright. I didn't like the music in the tunnel. It was really bad music played on instruments with really long strings. So kid doesn't like classical music already. But then I got to heaven and there was powerful music and I loved it. And when I arrived in heaven, the same five angels who had helped daddy out of the car were there. They comforted me and daddy was in heaven too. And the angels stayed with me so that daddy could be alone with God. And he shares these things that happened with his father after his father had been um, taken away and he was all these things there's no way that he could account for except for the fact that somehow he had seen but i read that and i go isn't it interesting that jesus is talking about children and it seems that children see into the realm of the spirit far easier sometimes than we do 
But if Jesus had the heart of a child, I'm sure he could see. I'm sure his father allowed for him to at times be able to see what was going on. And he looks out and he says to us, he says to you and to me, he says, you need to know this. You need to understand this. You need to know the value that God places on any person who comes in humility, willing to trust, knowing they're not perfect, realizing they've blown it. I don't care how lost you seem to be. I don't care how far you seem to be in your, in your sense of feeling distant from God. But your father in heaven has placed angels around you. He has angels who will watch over you. Angels that are looking into the face of the Father all the time. You are never, ever unseen by God. There's no other way you can read that. There's no way you you can really understand that. But But Jesus is trying to make it very clear that you know what? God loves a humble heart. And then he goes further than that and he answers another question as well. Your Father in Heaven, not only does He see, but He actually sets out to find you in your lostness. Even now, in a sense, God is on a hunt and rescue mission. And He goes on and He uses the illustration of a shepherd with a large herd of sheep who, as these sheep coming in, as they would in those days, they would count the sheep. One, two, ninety-eight, Let's count the sheep again. There's one missing. Counts the sheep again. And like any good father, this shepherd who loves his sheep has a sense of panic in his heart. One's missing. You might think, no big deal. He's got a 99 others. But Jesus says it really matters to him. What do you think, says Jesus in verse 12, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that wandered off? See, your heavenly Father sees you. Contrary to what your senses are screaming, your emotions are feeling, even the accusing voice in your ear, if you feel this distance, you feel this loss, you feel like God doesn't see, He tells you He does. But not only does He see, He goes and He says, this what? Even in your lostness, where you're at, God is on His way. He's opening doors to make things happen, to get to the place where He can come to you and you can open your heart and, and, and you can be found or you can be in that place where He, as He finds you, comes around you to meet the need of your heart, whatever it is that's going on. Because your Heavenly Father deeply cares for you. He does not despise you. He does not look down on you. He does not give up on you. He's not tired, too tired to look for you. Think about it. That's, that's not your Father. How many of human, as human parents, would ever begin to think, if you had a lost child, you know, you, you know we searched all day, but, yeah, I guess that's, you know, we tried. Honestly, we, we as, as, as good parents, as, as good, loving caretakers over those around us, would do anything and everything to find that one that is lost. And, and Jesus says, you know what, we have to get this into our own hearts, what the heart of the Father is really like. This is what you guys, as he's giving this little seminar, he's saying, this is what you need to know. This is critical. This is crucial for you to understand. This is not about some power system. This is not about living in such a way that you, you, you get your act together. And once your act is together, other people have to measure up to that. He's talking constantly about the fact that this system is a system that is open to the lost, to those who are hurting, to those who seem to have blown it, to those who seem that they just need a lot of help. And, and he says, you need to know that's the Father's heart. I, I love getting some of these emails that I that I get in the last week or so. I've 
I've gotten some, and, and, and they, we've just been talking about, it's just, it always impresses on me how much people need to hear about the love of the Father and the grace of God. It's, it's like it doesn't get old. I got this one, Pastor Kevin, I'm not sure if you remember me, we met briefly a few weeks ago. This person's new to the church. Anyways, just wanted to say thank you. Your sermon Sunday totally set me free. As you were preaching, I felt this weight lifted as I realized I didn't have to be perfect and that it was okay to have faults. A part of me felt here at Wyzetta Free that I would be accepted with all my sin. In fact, since the first Sunday I came and having met a few people, I knew this was a place that not only understood brokenness, but also accepted people right where they were at in the midst of their pain. I cannot begin to tell you how refreshing that is. It brings such peace, which is what I felt leaving church that Sunday. I I say thank you to you. Because this is the kind of culture that God wants to create. This is the kind of heart that he wants to have beating from people so that when people come in contact with you, they come in contact with the heart of God. They come in contact with the heart of the Father. Another person wrote me this past week says, Wow, your sermon touched my life in a big way. I, I have felt bound and highly conflicted for years. In my home, there was so much guilt, shame, and ultimate fear of abandonment. Or ostracization, if, at least, if we didn't comply. Your sermon provided new insight for me as a lifelong struggle to make all this work for me in my adult life. After much brokenness, And then in capital big letters, I am finally coming to believe that I am okay just the way I am and that God is a loving, accepting Father who more than anything wants to take my hand in love and show me His ways, not out of fear, but through His love. This is, this isn't, uh, these aren't letters from some book or these are not kind of things that, that are from some other place. This is right here in our midst. You're not alone. If you felt that, you're not alone. Do you really believe your Heavenly Father sees you? Do you believe this? There's also this other truth that comes here, and that is the value you place on the lost and the rebellious. And I, I say this, may reveal something of your own family system. That was kind of reflected a little bit in the last letter. Verse 10 says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. The context of this is even best noted in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. It's the other place where this parable is quoted. Now, I find this, again, very interesting because scholars have done all this work to try and find out, well, is Luke the original setting for this? And then then Matthew decided to use it to teach the church something as if Jesus didn't. If I just don't get this seems so much common sense to me. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Itinerant preachers would go around and, and, and preach in different places. Wouldn't you think he might use a really good illustration twice? It just seems kind of simple to me. It would seem pretty simple to me that Jesus uses before, and then he looks at his guys, he goes, we're going to go over this lesson one more time. Let me tell you an illustration. It's a really good one that you guys really get. So in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking only to his followers, but now in this Luke 15, it's really that he's talking, he's sharing to this whole crowd, and this crowd are the religious leaders, the parents, the religious parents of that day of this Jewish family. It's... This old Jewish family of the religiously self-righteous, rule-keeping, significance, control, power, perfection kind of reality that is in this home life that Jesus has come to, these people. The message says it this way, By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. I think that's an interesting statement. 
They were listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story in Jesus. The NIV says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes, and you've got you to kind of say, sinners. You've you almost got to say it like this. This man welcomes sinners. And you've got to look down. And he actually eats with them. Have you ever thought about how your attitudes, our attitudes, expose not only our hearts, but betray sometimes the very home and the values of the home that we lived in? Is it possible that the presence of a lost black sheep may reveal dysfunction in your own family? Now, I'm not saying that this is true in every case, but I want you to look at this. Because this is a sign of what Jesus is, is, is teaching here. He's saying, um, if you will look with humility and consider this potential truth, that the one you may have labeled as a problem child may reveal the possibility of spiritual ill health in your family system. You know what I mean? If, you know, like I, the one who's always a problem, they're always the black sheep, they're always this, and we just go, you know what? And it's all about them. Have you ever thought that that system, I'm not saying always, but that system may in itself be unhealthy and help create that? This is a big part of what Jesus' message was to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It was this truth that caused them not only to, look, to seek to suppress his message because of what it exposed, but to actually shoot him, the messenger. They looked down and despised sinners. With contempt, they viewed the lost and rebellious of their day, the tax collector, the prostitute, the drunkard, the adulterer, the player, the tool, the cougar, the AARP, the ACLU, the GLBT, the BLT. BLT is just a sandwich. You see, these Jewish family members were despised. Those ones who were coming around Jesus, those little ones, were the lost, the hurt, the wounded, the ones who had blown it, the ones who had really messed up in life. They were the ones that didn't measure up. They were the family's black sheep. They were the problem children. Jesus is making this incredible statement right here. He's saying, as he's, as he's meeting with them, he, he is saying, these children are the ones that he welcomes. There's a sense that when they came to Jesus, they felt in, and those who were the ones that felt in by their own works and by their own measuring up were the ones who fell out. Jesus felt, they felt so in with Jesus that, as it, it says here, that he would kind of eat with them. He would spend time with them. You can imagine him going into a bar and sitting next to a guy and saying, you know, did you hear the last, this, this one about the three guys who, and they felt comfortable with them. Their attitude gave away their heart. In fact, it gave away the spiritual ill health of the whole family system. They focused on the actions of sinners so others wouldn't focus on their malignant attitudes. You see, if you can say they're a sinner and you can sit there and look at the actions and you look at the actions, you can then begin to externalize it. And so in such a way, your actions look really good, could come from a really malignantly cancerous heart in a system that's all built about power. And they were doing that. Is it possible in a family that the prodigal, the black sheep, has become the scapegoat of a person or a family's shame? Could the lost or problem child really be pointing out the problems that exist within the family? This was happening in Jesus' day. And you know what? This may have happened in the family you grew up. You may feel this resonates and you relate to it. This is kind of how it happens. One child can't live up to the accomplishments of the other, the star child, so they don't try. 
Instead, this child then goes to the other extreme. This child, the black sheep of the family, breaks all the rules, always seems to be in trouble, rebels against authority at home, school, and everywhere. He's in trouble so often he becomes the family scapegoat. His badness makes everybody else look good. And he draws attention away from everyone else. And inwardly, he feels deep shame, unable to measure up, so why? And he becomes the outcast. In Jesus' religious family that Jesus was coming to, what do you think was the big secret that Jesus was revealing? He was revealing the pride of the hearts of those people, and he was revealing the complete, utter sense that they couldn't measure up, that they were, um, in that sense, humbled by their own sin. In the sense, he comes to me and says, Hey, All you black sheep, all you scapegoats, you problem children, your Father in heaven loves you, sees you, and He's even after you right now because He doesn't want you to live in that. So I ask you again, could it be that the one you label as the black sheep of the family, though, though their acting out isn't right, their acting out could be shining a light on the sense that you need to look and say, what's going on? And the last is the value of the lost sheep, I think, tells you something about your own heart. How much your heart is truly like God. You lose something precious and in in, in, in you begin to feel the value of it. You lose your own child in a crowded mall. And immediately your love is known. You have a friend lose a child that you um, care about those people. And maybe you don't even know that child, but there's a reaction in your heart. Because the closer you are to the heart of the one Bearing a loss, the more closely your heart bears their pain. Whether you even know that child or even more so, you have experienced that sense of lostness. Isn't that true? Someone loses a child to death. Maybe, maybe you don't even know them, but if you have experienced that in some way yourself, your heart breaks. Jesus says in verse 14, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And just as a shepherd reacts, so also does my father. And he looks at these guys and he says, where is your heart compared to the father? How much of your heart is like the heavenly father? Do you know that lost people matter to God? Lost people matter to Jesus? Lost people, he says, write it down in your notebooks, guys, matter to my families that you're going to establish. Lost people should matter to you. And in fact, he goes on in the same way the shepherd rejoiced, so does my Father in heaven, so should there be great joy. Every time you see a person who seems to be lost come to a place where they're found. Verse 13, and he finds this lost one. Truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Isn't that interesting? The father's concern for the wandering sheep is so great that he rejoices over this one's return more than the 99 who are back in the confines of those gates. Where's your heart? Are you upset that one, that you, one of the 99, are not getting attention? Are you joining the search party? I realize those are really hard questions, but they're really good questions to be honestly asked. This past week, I got a phone call from someone who I put in touch with, another individual who recently um, received Christ as their Savior and, and opened their heart to God. And I said, would you meet with this person? They met. 
And he called me so excited. He said, I just got to tell you, I've forgotten what it was like to be lost and without Jesus. You see, the value put on the lost or the lack of value reveals your heart, just how close it is to God or how far it is. So I want to share with you, if you're in a position where you feel lost today, this is not something I say, this is something that Jesus says. He says, your Father in Heaven is not looking at you with anger. He's not looking down at you and despising you. He does not have uh, this sense of hate in his heart because of the choices you made. He has a pain in his heart because of where you're at as a result of those. And your Father in Heaven, the moment you open your heart to be found by Him, do you know that this scripture tells us that His face just lights up with joy? He becomes radiant that you've opened your heart to Him and said, Please, um, find me in the midst of my lostness. Be near me. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask you just to contemplate um, a, a practical question. And as we sing this song and respond, just a couple, couple of them. One is just this practical question. Have you opened your heart? In the midst of your lostness, are you willing to just say, God, come into my life. Um, Jesus, I want to know that love. I want to know that love. And the second thing I want you just to consider as we close is you think about your own heart. If you've experienced that sense of lostness and you you know what it means in your heart to be found, just let God, as we process this and sing this, um, speak to your heart. Is there someone near you who feels on the outside, who needs to feel in by your love? I just want you to think about that. Is there someone near you who... Who you know, in a sense, they're on the outside, but they need to feel in, in the same way Jesus loved people. And what does that mean for you?